This is Jay Navarro from the Suicide Machines, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And on the show this week, we have Sal Ellington from Rebuilder. Rebuilder just signed with Iodine Recordings. They have an excellent new LP out. It's called Local Support. I highly recommend checking it out if you're into the melodic punk sound. I dig it, and I dig Sal. It's good stuff. Rebuilder were all set to release their record on the now-defunct AF Records. As many of us know, Justin Sane, frontman of Anti-Flag, had some sexual assault allegations raised against him. So they folded the band, they folded the label, it was gone. And gone with it was Sal's record deal for this Rebuilder record. But he tells that story and about how Iodine Recordings swept in and picked up the record and released it in time for their record release shows and the tours and everything they have coming up. It's a great story, and that's coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Shirts. We have shirts for sale at Death Wish Inc. There's a long sleeve and some t-shirt options. Pick one up. It's a great way to support the show. Reviews. Give us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I am now on the push for 200 reviews on each platform. We've got 180 on Spotify and 132 on Apple Podcasts. Let's get it over 200. If you haven't reviewed the show yet, open up the app, hit the five-star button. You can write a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can leave episode feedback on Spotify. Let us know how we're doing. And you can always reach me at newscenepod.com at iodinerecords.com. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. Down Talker have a new single out. It's called All My Friends Are Dead. You can catch their debut performance with the great Fiddlehead. That's on September 22nd at the Royale in Boston. The Iron Roses have released a new single from their upcoming self-titled LP. The single is called Justify the Lies. It's available now on all streaming services. Check it out. Their record release show is October 20th in Richmond, Virginia at Garden Grove Brewing. Garrison, A Mile in Cold Water, the LP remaster, is up for pre-order. And don't forget about their gig. That's coming up October 6th at the Middle East in Boston with Orange Island. The Garrison-Orange Island split EP, Songs from a Central Massachusetts Mill Town is up for pre-order right now. Six Going on Seven, Self-Made Mess, the LP re-release, that's up for pre-order. Quicksand have extended their European tour in support of the Slip re-release. Check out their socials for a full list of tour dates. The new single from Best X featuring Lux Tides is out now. The single is called Die For You, and this is the final single before the album With A Smile drops on October 6th. Join the Iodine Noise Cult. There's still spaces available, and if you join, you'll get the next six Iodine vinyl releases with extras like free shipping. Sign up for the Iodine email list 
you'll find out about everything first. For more information, head to the Iodine Instagram at Iodine Recordings or to the Iodine website at iodinerecordings.com. And finally, don't forget to support this month's sponsor. It's Triumph Printing Company. That's right, Triumph Printing Company. Triumph was started in 2005 by Matt Reed. With nearly 19 years in service, Triumph is solely run and operated by Matt himself. Can you believe it? I can't believe it, because the amount of work that Matt does is insane. Triumph offers both graphic design and screen printing services. He's printed for bands we know and love like Bane, Be Well, Death Before Dishonor, End It, and a bunch of national brands, radio personalities, you name it, Matt has done it. So if you need graphic design work done, or if you're in a band and you need merch, why not go to Matt? And here's some extra incentive for you. If you're a new customer, email Matt at triumphprintingco at gmail.com and you will get 10% off your first order if you mention the New Scene Podcast. That's right, new customers get 10% off when they mention the New Scene Podcast. To make an order, email Matt at triumphprintingco at gmail.com or check out their Instagram at triumphprintingco. Okay, so let's talk music recommendations. What are you listening to? I'll tell you what I'm listening to. Some classics. I haven't been checking out a whole lot of new stuff because I've been busy and working on my own music, but here are some classics I've revisited. Did you see that Hope's Fall announced that Satellite Years remix re-release, right? I always listen to that record around this time, so I listen to that again. Just a classic, and I'm really looking forward to hearing that full remixed record. I heard, I, I think, one remix song that Josh sent me a while ago, but I'm excited to hear the whole thing. I've been listening to Ride, the Nowhere LP. That's a classic. And I finally checked out Spiderland by Slint. I've heard so much about this record and this band over the years, and I never heard it, or I never heard the whole thing at least. So I finally listened to it, and I love it. Excellent stuff. I can see, I can see why it gets the amount of acclaim that it does. So there you go. There's some stuff to check out if you want to. Make sure you check back in with me in segment three. I'll tell you everything that's going on with me, but right now, we are going to speak to Sal Ellington of Rebuilder. Enjoy. Thank you. 
All right, we are here now with Sal Ellington. Sal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yes, Sal, it's great to have you here. There's a lot of exciting things going on. Rebuilder has just put out local support, the LP. Yep, our second LP. Your second LP. It was a long road to getting the LP out, but it's finally here, and it's great. And uh, we're going to talk about that We're going to talk about the band. We're going to talk about everything, Sal. But first, I want to ask you, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I've been running all over the place because I, as I do, take on way too much stuff, but it keeps me busy. So I guess that's good. Yeah, I I do the same thing. You know, I was talking to my neighbor or my landlord, I should say, and he said, you know, yo, you don't need anything else to do. You're running around like crazy as it is. And I, I thought I thought that was very validating because sometimes I'm like, am I that busy? Right. Am I that stressed right. or am I making it up? So to hear someone else say it, I was like, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I don't really know, you know, how to take days off, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't do it very often. The only time I take off now is for tour, so that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Where did you grow up, Sal? I grew up in Framingham, Massachusetts, about, uh, you know, 30 minutes outside of Boston. And uh, yeah, I mean, I went to like, I went to elementary school there, middle school and high school. So I guess for all intents and purposes, I grew up there, even though I was born in Boston. Born in Boston. So you can claim Boston. I can. Women in Brigham's Hospital on May 18th. People can check the records. (laughs) (laughs) What was your introduction to, let's say, punk music as a whole? Like, what was your thing? Hardcore, punk, melodic punk, post-hardcore? Like, how did you discover it? What was your thing? I mean, I think in the earliest iteration, I didn't know what punk was. You know, like, I, like my, my dad came from a big musical background. He played guitar. So he showed me a lot of music. And, like, he showed me the Ramones and the Clash. But, you know, I lumped that in with like the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and the doors and all this music that I was listening to when I was like a child, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I don't think I was, I like, I, I definitely was listening to some bands that would be considered punk, but I had no concept of what punk was. I just was like, Oh, these are rock bands, you know? And I knew that I loved it. And I knew I like, you know, I guess the first, I, I grew up playing drums and I think it was when, so I, I remember as a kid going and seeing Aerosmith play at Great Woods and it was like had to have been like late 90s and it blew me away and I was like this is amazing and then I remember my dad brought me to see No Doubt play and I think I think the first I, I know we went twice and we went and saw them at the Centrum with the Vandals opening and I loved the Vandals when I saw them and fell in love with it and then Went out to like uh, the the wall record store in the mall and oh yeah, yeah. they would they would have the most expensive CDs but it, it had that guarantee with the sticker on the back yeah exactly you could trade it in <laughs> <laughs> so I um I remember buying the Vandals Live Fast Diarrhea and I got No Effects White Trash Two Heaps and a Bean as well and I think that was probably around the time I got Dookie as well by Green Day. And so, and all of that, I loved it. I just was like, you know, and especially being a drummer, I was just like, I want to learn how to play this fast. I want to play along to this. You know, I, I had only been playing along to like 
Aerosmith and like ACDC records. Um, and that was what I had mostly been playing drums to, but I was like, oh man, you can play like really fast. And obviously, you know, when uh, Damn It by Blink-182 hit the radio, I was like in middle school. I discovered that. I fell in love with that band for sure. So I definitely came more from the punk and ska world because that's what was blowing up around the time. And I just, you know, I, it was a while be- until I like started going to like actual shows. I feel like I went to like big concerts before I went to like a VFW hall and saw a band play, you know? Yeah. You said you went and saw No Doubt with your dad twice. Was he into No Doubt too? I think he was just like excited that I was into something, you know? Um, yeah. I think we would show each other music. So obviously he had so much music to show me and we had a turntable and a huge record collection. And I remember uh, Framing on Public Library had a massive CD collection and you could get out, I think, 10 CDs at a time. I remember I took out Marilyn Manson, Antichrist Superstar. Uh, yes. I took out Faith No More, Angel Dust. The first Joe Strummer and the Mascaleros CD. They also had Al Roy Saves by All. They just had like such random stuff. Like I always wondered if there was like a punk kid who was working there that was just like, we got to order these CDs. <laughs> there must have been because as you're rattling these off, I'm like, wait, how did the library have this good of a selection? <laughs> no clue. And so I just would always go to the library and just always take out CDs. And if I liked something, I would show my dad. And then I think he also joined like the Columbia House Music. <laughs> group thing where you could order like 20 CDs for a penny or whatever. So, and I, you know, I grew up watching MTV. So if I saw something on MTV, I was like, Oh, I know who that band is. We should get that CD. So I think we ordered tragic kingdom and I liked it. I showed it to him. I don't know if he liked it so much, but, or he was just like, like he thought it was cool. I liked it. And I was like, well, they're coming to, uh, they're coming to town. Cause I think the first time was at the centrum. The second time, it was Weezer opening for them at Great Woods when the Pinkerton record had come out. And that's my favorite Weezer record. I love that record a lot. And I, I, I think it's so cool that I was able to see them on that tour opening for No Doubt. Right, because they disappeared for a long time after that. Yeah, that record was deemed like a commercial failure. And like they just like disappeared. And even when they came back, I really didn't care about them. Um I didn't care about the records that they made after that. Those first two were always the ones for me that I I really, really loved, you know? Those are the ones. When they came back, I was, uh, you know, I had gotten into Pinkerton because that was like a uh, accepted Scene Kid album at the time. Totally. Then I heard they were coming back. So Green Album I liked, the one after that I liked, but then I kind of stopped uh, keeping track. Yeah, I think they have more bad songs than good songs at this point. However, <laughs> I did... Uh, I did work. I I sold merch for them at the Palladium show that was recently uh, that came by recently. And um, I thought I was going to hate it because I was like, well, you know, they have so many records out now. They're going to probably play a lot of new stuff. They played so much from Pinkerton and the Blue Album that I was like, this is awesome. This is really great. Oh, really? Yeah, I was very surprised. I mean, they even played like Suzanne and is it? Michael and Carly, the like the the two B sides that were from the Blue and Pinkerton record, and I was like, damn, I never, I didn't think that they would bust out these songs. Oh well, yeah, yeah, like even uh, even though I ha- I haven't heard a lot of the newer albums, but the singles that I hear, like they're not bad. I mean, they're good. The production they're, is good. They're okay. 
Yeah. Someone, as I think a friend of mine said to me, they were like, yeah, what's different is that like the blue record and Pinkerton, like, you know, he was writing songs and writing a record because he had like stuff he wanted to sing about. And now he's like, well, I just got to write a song, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I remember uh, like reading all he would, I don't even remember where I read these, but there was all these essays and long things he would publish about like uh, mathematically calculating how to stay in the charts and how he was just obsessed with being commercially viable after Pinkerton and, right. and getting back into that. And I, I don't know. It, it always struck me as a little odd. Yeah, it's odd, but it's smart, you know, because like yeah. I think if if he had kept make, trying to make a record that is trying to capture what he did in Pinkerton and blue, it's never going to happen. You know, like the guy, no. the guy's fucking filthy rich. He has a different life now. And his job is literally to make pop songs. So if he's researching, yeah. how do I keep making pop songs? How do I keep putting out stuff that is going to stay on the charts by doing research? Then it's like, okay, you figured it out because they're still selling out rooms. They're still, you know, big. They still have singles. They probably just aren't putting out singles that I really care about. <laughs> <laughs> he cracked the code, the Harvard education. For paid sure. Off. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, when did you start performing? How? When? Um, I'm trying to think of like my first time. I mean, I always wanted to be in a band. I think I yeah. just found it hard to find people that wanted to be in the band as well. I think like I the earliest I can remember performing was... My mom had sent me to like a summer camp that was like figure out like my mom was like, you're going to figure out what you're good at. Like they have photography here, clay making, uh, drums, like instrument classes and then like soccer and all this stuff. So I, I got thrown into all of these courses and uh, that's when I figured out I wanted to play drums because I loved it so much, but I didn't really know how to play. And so I had rock and roll class and I had drum class. And I remember being in rock and roll class and they were like, all right, we're going to learn covers like Tom Petty covers and like Led Zeppelin. And they already had a kid who could play drums. And they were like, do you know how to play drums? I was like, no, but I got drum class next. So I'm sure I'll be all right for like next week. (laughs) 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 And like, they just like gave me like an auxiliary floor, Tom. And we're like, you're going to play this, I guess, you know? And I remember like we played at the end of like the summer camp in front of like people and I was so nervous and like I probably did awful, but I was like, oh, this is a lot of fun. And then I think every day after that was like, how do I become like a musician that plays in front of people, you know, because then then from there, like I was in middle school and high school, like like uh, marching bands and concert band. And I always did that stuff playing drums. And then my first band that I made was with some friends of mine, probably in high school. And we just learned a whole bunch of Blink-182 covers and we used to play friends parties and stuff. And I was like, I immediately was like, okay, we need a name and we need t-shirts and we can, I know a guy that can print us some t-shirts and I can make pins. I have a pin maker. My friend was like, yeah, I don't know if I even want to be in this band. (laughs) (laughs) And then like, I found other kids to be in a band with. And I was like, okay, well, what's our name? Like we should make stuff and we should like book shows. I already know how to book shows. The lady down the street will rent me the civic league 
for like a couple hundred dollars and we can have all of our friends come out, you know, like I was already on that mentality of like making this a thing that I just do. And I think it scared away a lot of people early on that were just like, oh, I thought this was just like a fun, casual thing. And I was, you know, I was like, no, this is what I want to do for like my life. (laughs) Wow. You're like already ready to go. I love that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I made, I think like late in high school, I had finally found kids through not even like in the school. I found kids through going to shows that liked the same music as me. There was this kid, Jason, I met who me and him became like best friends. And we were just like, we got to make a band. We have to make a band and make the make a band that sounds like the bands that we like. We it came through a whole bunch of different names. We eventually landed on a band called uh, Dead Ellington. And I don't know why we called it that. And I always hated the name. But that was the band that we started. And that's the band that led us to like actually playing shows. And like we never really toured a lot. Like we made our way to like New York sometimes. I think maybe we did New Jersey. And then we always would travel around Massachusetts and play shows. But that was the thing that like led me to first really playing shows. Dead Ellington. That's not a bad name. They're not very good, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very, it's very like, you know, I, I have a hard time listening to it because I'm just like, I find it so cringy now. But it is very, very much like reminiscent of what I was listening to at the time, what I wanted to be like. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I would have gotten to Rebuilder without it, you know. So you started out on drums. You play guitar and sing in Rebuilder, correct? Yeah, because when I played drums in whatever iteration of Dead Ellington happened before we became Dead Ellington, the way that actually happened was, uh, so me and Jason had made a band. I was playing drums and we had a singer. And I remember I was like booking shows. And I think I had booked some shows in the summertime. And our singer at the time, this kid, Andrew, who had come from a different band that we had really liked, uh, he was like, yeah, I'm going away for the summer to like Martha's Vineyard with like my girlfriend's family. I won't be around all summer, but like we can do the band thing when I get home. And I remember being really bummed out and like, I was like, dude, but like we have, I have shows I'm going to book. Like I already have a show booked in Western Mass. I didn't want to cancel I think it might have been with the toasters too. I can't remember, but I think it was. I think that's correct. Like we had a show with the toasters and I convinced my friend Jason to play guitar. I was like, you should let me sing. We'll get my friend Brian to play drums. And I think we already, we had our bass player. Greg was like down to do whatever. And I was like, that should be the lineup that we do for the shows. I don't even know what our singer was singing anyway. I'll just make up different words and that'll be what we do. And I don't know how I convinced them to do it. Like, I remember they were very hesitant. They were like, you're our drummer. You're not the singer in this band. And I was like, who cares? Like we get to go play a show and get in a van borrowing our friend's van. And it'll be, it'll just be so fun and cool. So I remember we went and did that and I sang and I liked it a lot. I liked being a front man. And I, I convinced everyone. I was like, we should just kick out our singer and I should just be the guy that sings in this band now. What did they think of that idea? They were fine with it, but they were like, how do we kick out Andrew? And I was like, I, I don't know. So I, I, I rem- you know, there was like an infamous story of like, basically we waited till he got home. We were like, Hey man, like we should get together. Let's go. Uh, let's have like a band outing at Papa Gino's. 
And he was like, yeah, yeah, totally. And so we went to this Papa Gino's, all of us, and we like ordered pizza and we like sat down and I didn't want to say anything because I was too nervous about it. My friend Jason was too nervous about it. Then our bass player, Greg, who never really says anything at all, just goes, yeah, man. So I don't think this is working out. (laughs) (laughs) Sal's now going to sing in the band. You know, we just, we just, we worked on this while you were gone and you know, it's just what it is. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I understand it sucks, but he, he was like, I, I get it. And so then that's how I ended up just singing. And I didn't play drums anymore in the band. I, I mean, I, you know, I went, when I went to college, I still played drums there and I still love playing drums even now to this day, but there was just so much setup involved. And I was just like, I was like, man, setting up this drum set every single show sucks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I I didn't really know how to play guitar, but I had taken some guitar lessons. And as Dead Ellington went on, I started writing songs in it. But the two guitar player we had were so much better than me, so I was just like happy to just kind of show them how my songs go and let them take it and make them better. Um, and then towards you know, but we we were a band for like you know seven or eight years off and on, and during that time. I kind of learned guitar enough to be able to like sing and play and come up with my own songs. When that band took its course, I kind of immediately, when I made Dead Ellington, uh, Rebuilder was like, I don't want to rely on people so much as I do. I will just play guitar and sing in this band. There's other people who are way more famous than me who have made a living being very bad guitar players and singers. <laughs> so I think I'll be okay. <laughs> that that's the mindset I take with it too. I'm like I can do enough to be fine. I I'm I'm probably better than some people who have done a lot more than me. So why can't I do it? Yeah, I think in my head I was like, oh, if you're going to play guitar in a band, you have to be like Eddie Van Halen level good. You know. No. And then I, re- I I think it was like I forget who I was having a conversation with, but someone was like dude, Bruce Springsteen is not a good guitar player. And I was like, what do you mean? Of course he is. And they were like, no, no, no. They're like, he's got other guys on stage who play guitar better than him. He just writes good songs. And I think I was like, oh, I guess I never really thought about that, you know? Yeah, the guitar could almost be a set piece if you have the right band behind exactly, you. Exactly, exactly. So wait, when you kick out the singer of Dead Ellington, See, like, he's okay with that? He said he understood? Yeah, I mean, because I I don't even think we had even a... I think we called it Dead Ellington to make a new band name. I think we were something before that. And I think at the time we were like 16 or 17. And I I think that he he was just like... I mean, there was not much you could say. He disappeared for the whole summer. (laughs) You know, and like, we we, we played shows. And I think it was like, he didn't even know we played shows. Because like, it wasn't like you would see things on the internet as much as you do now. You know, so yeah. I, I, I think we just, you know, I think we just told him we're like, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to keep going. And I think we were like, oh, we got to come up with a different band name because like this is going to be a different thing. And, yeah. you know, I don't even know why we cared so much. At that point, we had only played like a few shows, you know. Yeah. Why do kids think that the surprise breakup like that is a good idea? Like I've I've been in that situation. I've done that before and I've been in that situation where it's like, yeah, let's get together to talk about the band. And then you show up and they're like, hey, the band is over. Like, what? Why? Why do, why do kids think that's a good idea? <laughs> I have no idea. But like, what's even funnier is that, you know, before 
even all this, there was another band that was like, uh, was, I think it was the way me and my friend Jason had met. A friend of mine was like, you got to meet this kid, Jason. He, uh, he works with me at Barnes and Noble and, uh, he likes the same music you do. So maybe you guys would be friends. I remember we got introduced and he was like, Oh, I play in a ska band. And he's like, you, I heard you play trombone. You should join this band. And I was like, I don't know how to play trombone. I have one coming in the mail, but <laughs> I don't know how to play. And he was like, it's fine. You'll just match the notes with our sax player who was like the singer of the band. And for some reason I was like, okay, fine. And like this kid picked me up, went to these practices. It was awkward and terrible. And I remember leaving there being like, well, this was a mistake. And, you know, I guess, I guess I tried. And uh, when Jason dropped me off, he was like, so I'll pick you up next week. And I was like, yeah, sure. And that's how I joined that band. And it was very, very bad. But we kept going because it was just fun for us. And I'll never forget that one day we got a call from the drummer, Tony. And he said, hey, I'm quitting the band tonight. So you guys should probably quit too. And (laughs) without any hesitation at all, we're like, yeah, I guess we're quitting. And we went to that practice to tell the singer, yeah, we're out as well. And then I remember going from there home when Jason was dropped me off and he was like, well, he's like, I don't know. Do I pick you up next week? We don't really have anything anymore that we're working on. I was like, well, let's just make a new band. And that's how it started, like our trajectory of like making another band. But we never even questioned when that other band broke up. It was just like, I I don't know. I think it's one of those things like maybe you don't care about the band breaking up if nothing has happened yet, you know? Yeah. Like, have you played a couple shows? Do you have anything invested in it? It's not like your shows are packed with people. You're like, whatever, we're done. Nothing has changed. I think it mattered more if like, if a band was able to pack a room at that point, you'd be like, well, I don't know if we should break up. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe there's more to lose here. When I, uh, when I hear these stories, I just realized that everyone was a lot more mature than me. Cause I remember I almost got into my first band at 19, 20 years old. And we were still just practicing writing the first set. And I got replaced in the middle of that process. And I like called up one of the guys and was like cursing him out. And I was, I was all pissed off at everybody for a long time. Like, you know, it was, I didn't handle things very well back then. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't think I did either. You know, I I think that like, I even remember when we had the singer that we had, we would play shows and afterwards I'd be like, you should, you should probably like do this on stage and should talk about this on stage and really like micromanaging the kid completely you know and just like caring way too much about something that is just so doesn't mean anything and it's just really innocent and we're all young and just having a fun time but i think at the time we just like i we just took it so so seriously you know things that just don't even matter exactly so dead ellington ends rebuilder begins how old are you around that time um Let's see. I guess I would have been around like 27. And what's your life like at this point? Do you want to do music full time? Are you working full time? What's the balance? Like, what what do you envision for yourself? I think for me, it's always been about playing music. You know, like when I started going to shows, local shows, I remember I saw this band kicked in the head play and I thought they were so good. And I kept going to all their shows. And I remember 
I was like, well, maybe I can help them bring their stuff inside. And now I don't have to pay to like go into the show. And then I started doing that, start becoming friends with them. And then I was like, well, I'll sell your merch for you. Cause like you guys don't have a merch person and like, there's no one at your table. And they were like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. That's cool. And then a year after that, of like helping them and stuff. They're like, do you want to come on tour with us? Like we can't pay you, but you know, like it might be fun. And I was like, yeah, I would love to. Cause at this point I, I did not have my own band, but all I wanted to do was play so bad. And I wanted to be touring and doing that stuff. So I took any opportunity I could. And then I toured of kicked in the head as a merch guy before I had my own band. And like, you know, from there they got bigger. I remember there were opening shows for Boston's and dropkick Murphy's. And then one of my friends started, who's another merch guy started working for dropkick Murphy's and Boston's. And then he brought me in. So I started being a merch guy for both of those bands at times. And, you know, I was like, Oh, like maybe I don't need to get like, Maybe I can quit this hard rock cafe job, you know, like maybe I don't need this because like this is actually paying me well. And then, you know, I did a whole warp tour of Big D and the kids table as their merch guy. And then we did a Lex- we did an Alexis on fire tour after that with them. And so, you know, I'm learning a lot at the same time. I'm going to Berkeley College of Music to learn music business, which I didn't need to do. If I were to do a do over, I would have been like, yeah, don't go and do that. You're already learning everything here. You don't need to go to like drop all this money on there. But I did because, you know, it made my parents happy to like be like, I'm going to college, you know. And during all that time I was doing I was doing Dead Ellington. But, you know, I was still touring as a merch guy and as a crew guy for bands. And, you know, I started working at, you know, when the venues need a local merch guy to come in and sell. You know, I was selling at Royale, selling at House of Blues. I was doing all that. I would I would go on tour whenever I could. And if you know, I was never the main guy for Dropkick Murphys, but like sometimes those guys were like, "Oh, our guy can't do this next like week, so, and we need someone to fill in." I was like, "I'm more than happy to come in and fill in." So I kind of did that for a very long time. So when Dead Ellington ends, you know, I'm twenty. I'm like twenty seven. But my vision is like, okay, I need, I, you know, I still want to have a band. I was very upset when this band was kind of coming to an end. I didn't want it to, but me and my friend had some disagreements. He was moving to California. I, there was nothing I could do to keep this thing together. And this was the same year that the, the Rockaways hurricane had hit and Dropkick Murphys were in Europe when that happened. Ken Casey calls their merch guy. Sean, their old merch guy, who's a friend of mine, Sean Flores, he calls him and he says, can you take the dropkick van, go to the Rockaways, fill it with all the supplies that you can fill it with. These people need food, clothing, whatever you can possibly fill it with. Just put it on the dropkick credit card and just bring supplies to the Rockaways. And he's like, see if you can get Sal to do it too, because I had a van. So he's like, you know. We'll put gas in the van. We'll do whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm more than happy to do this, you know, help people out. Yeah. So I did it. And because I did that, Ken thanked me. And he was like, he's like, you know, next, next St. Patty's Day, if your band wants to open up, uh, you know, you got a spot. And I was like, oh, awesome. Thanks. And I had that in my head. I knew that that was a card that I had to play, but the band was ending and I wasn't going to be like, oh, my band's ending. I don't have something to like fill that spot. So when the band ended in like December of like whatever year it was, I think it was 2012. I said to the other guys that were in the band, 
I was like, Hey, I'm going to make a new band. It's called rebuilder. I'm going to sing and play guitar. Um, because I think I can do it well enough. I have like six songs. Um, and I think we should record them at the practice space and then just like have a band camp where we just give this out for free. And our first show will be playing at house of blues opening for dropkick. I'll, I'll let, I'll let Ken know that that is the band that that is my band. He won't know any better that that band has never even played a show, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then that's what we did. Like, that's how we launched it. And, you know, it was, it was a great way to launch the band. We actually did play the night before at O'Brien's just to kind of, cause our friend Ryan Agate who booked that room was like, I have a show if you want to play the night before so you can like figure out what your band is. Cause I was like, I don't even know what this band is. We've never played on a stage, you know? <laughs> and I was like, if we get to do it before we have to go to house of blues and do it, then we should. And, and we did it and it was fun. And I, you know, very quickly was just like, okay, I got to keep booking more stuff. And luckily because, um, I might have, I might have even still been working at Apple computers around that time. And I think I had to quit because I started getting too busy between touring with Boston's rebuilder and then taking other merch gigs. And I think between all of that, I just end up just being like, yeah, I just like, I just jump around and just do enough gig work to keep it afloat. And I can still do rebuilder and tour whenever I want to. Right. Yeah. And uh, great of you to, uh, have the foresight to put all that together. Like, Hey, new band, new name, band camp. We have this good gig to launch it. Like, let's do it. You know, like if it, I'm thinking about myself at that time, I might've just given up like, ah, band's broken up. Can't do it. That's it. I, you know, I always thought about it. I was always like, you know, maybe, maybe this just, I mean, I think about it even now still, you know, I'm like, yeah. I'm 38 now. Maybe it's just too late. You know, like maybe I should just, stop playing because my time has passed you know but i've been there a a number of times over the years like at 30 at 35 and at 40 you know it it just depends yeah for sure and you know and i i i often still think about it but the thing is that then you play a show in front of people and you're like you know it's 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 almost like the greatest scam that I mean, this I I I honestly think that this is why this business gets a, gets away with as much as they do because it's a terrible business. It's a terrible, <laughs> terrible business. You know the business model and how you make money here. If you look at it on paper, you say this is ridiculous. Why would anybody do this? But the yeah. feeling that you get when you play on stage in front of people, when people buy your music, when people share it and say. You know, I love this thing that you created. There is no better feeling than that. You want that every single day of your life if you could make it happen. So you'll make it happen and you'll be like, we'll figure out how we survive some way. But as long as I can keep making people feel this way and I can feel this way on stage, I will do whatever, you know? And so that's what, you know, that's, you know, so I... I, you know, I do, I do often, you know, I think about that, but I think it's, you know, when I think back to the times of like, you know, when dead Ellington wasn't a band anymore and I was trying to figure out what to do, there's gaps there where I didn't play music for about a year or so. And I'm like, I think that was probably the saddest I ever was in my life. Not having, you know, even a band that doesn't play as often is better because you know, you have it and you know, there's opportunities than if you don't have it. Cause then you're like, 
you know, what am I waiting for? You know? Yeah. There's been periods a year, a couple years where I wasn't in a band at all and not doing anything music related at all and nothing, no project, no creative outlet. And those are very sad times now when I look back on them because, you know, every day of my life now is taken up with something creative or music related. And to think about not having that and just like working and coming home and going to sleep and that's it. it it's, uh, it's, it's, it's terrible. It was, it was, they were not fun times for me. Yeah. I mean, I just like, you know, I just got home from like a, a month long tour where I was just, you know, I, I was a merch guy on the tour working in production. And even that felt like I was like, man, this is almost like it sometimes feels too long to be on something for somebody else's dream. You know, when you're like setting up for someone else to play music, I'm like, man, I just want to play so bad. You know, like I can't just, I can't wait till I'm home and I can just pick up my guitar in my practice space and play loud and just be like, Oh, I, I get to, I get to play music. And even if it's not for anyone, just the fact that I can pick up a guitar and play music, it's just like, I think it does a lot for you, you know? And I, I, and I think when you don't have that for a while, even like, you know, like I, you know, I get paid well on the, on the road. It's a job for sure. Um, but like, Sometimes it does bum me out to be like, oh man, I'm just watching everyone else play music every day. Yeah. You know, as you're saying this, I just remembered all these memories of the mid 2010s, you know, new in New York City I was, and I was just getting fucked up all the time. I wasn't in bands most of the time, and I would watch my friends in bands, and I would go see other bands at these venues, and I would just get this jolt, like, I have to be doing this but I can't, I can't, there's no band to join. I can't make it happen. And then it was just a, it was like an awful feeling. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think that's, that's how I felt when I was in high school and I started like, you know, doing merch for bands and stuff. Cause I was like, well, there's no bands I can join. And I remember, I remember in high school, there was like a classic rock band that played yeah. like everything with these like really like nerdy kids. And I used <laughs> to hate them so much because I was like, well, the music they play fucking blows and everyone loves them and they get to play all the time to their friends. And I remember they like made a CD and it had a barcode on it and everyone was impressed. And I was like, that doesn't mean shit. Like I could fucking do that tomorrow if I wanted to, <laughs> but I didn't have the band. They had the band, you know? And I was so jealous of it. I just wanted to make a band so bad. So, you know, any opportunity I had to like make it and come it, make it come together was great. I mean, that's one of the reasons I went to music college was because I was like, I remember Big D and the kids table had gone there. And I remember had I when I was seeing their shows back in the day early on, I would talk to them and be like, oh, you guys went to that school? And they're like, yeah, yeah we all met there. And I was like, I should go to that school and like, I'll meet people that want to be in a band too. It's going to be awesome. And then I went to that school and met nobody that wanted to be in a band that I wanted to make, you know, like I met a lot of metal kids. I met a lot of jazz kids and I was like, yeah, I don't listen to any of that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anyone that wants to start a band, you know, the people that I ended up playing music with were just people that I like kind of grew up with and just had always shared a love of music for at shows and stuff. That's the people I still even play with now. You know, it, it was, it was never anyone I met at music school. Yeah. That's a good point. I was thinking about that today, actually, like, 
I've tried to go out and piece together bands or a Craigslist or like make it happen. But the people I end up playing with are always people that I know, even now. Always. It always is. Like, you know, I remember there was a time when we were making this record kind of like in between where it, we I wasn't sure if Delling, if Rebuilder was going to be able to like stay a band just because everyone's lives are going in different ways. And I didn't really know how to deal with it for one. And also just like what happens now. And I remember some people had said to me, they were like, dude, just start a new band, start a new band and just call it anything else. You know, like, you know what to do. You'll be, you'll be fine. And I was like, here's the thing. If I start another band, the people I'm going to call to play in this band are the people in Rebuilder. You know, like they're the, <laughs> they're the guys I want to be in it. Like if you, if you had me start over again and be like, well, who's going to play drums? I'd be like, well, I need Brandon on drums. He's the best drummer I know. He's, he's, I love him so much on drums and he gets it so well. And, you know, Craig's songwriting, I like so much and he's, added so many cool things to my songs. I love when we work on songs together. And then, you know, Daniel has always been the guy who's been like my right hand, like my left hand man, who's like made all the band decisions with me and has like seen things through. And we've thought things together. He's a great bass player too, but like behind the scenes, he's always been the other guy who's helped me run it, you know? So I've always been like, that's, those are the guys who I want to be in a band with. Like, it's just those guys. I don't, I don't want to call this something else. I'll just end up calling them. So the band went through a hard time in 2020, right? We're recording local support with the great Jay Moss and there's the pandemic and we can't go out and things are unsure. You were questioning whether or not to continue the band, right? It was, it was just like, you know, we had been a band for a while at that point. You know, I had always pushed us to do more tours and keep doing more and more stuff. You know, in my head, I'm always like, we could be doing more, you know, always could be doing more. You know, I, yeah. I was the guy that wanted to always practice two or three times a week if we could, you know? And then I think at some point it went down to like once a week practices and then being like twice a month practices to like, if we get once a month, we're lucky. And it wasn't because people didn't want to play. It's just like, you know, Brandon had gotten married and, you know, he doesn't live in Boston anymore. He lives in Salem and has a job and now he has a kid. So his life is occupied, you know, um, at that time, me and Daniel were still living together. Like Daniel was like newly sober and like figuring his life out. And then Craig wanted to like start playing in some other different types of bands. And he didn't really want to like keep grinding hard and rebuild her as hard as we always were, you know, to as hard as we, as we were to not really get a lot of reward out of it. You know um, I think around that time too, we had like had a booking agent for like about a year that like didn't work out and got us in some of the worst shows that we had ever played. So we were just like, like I felt like having a booking agent was basically like somebody every day waking up and telling you how much they don't believe in you, but they still want their cut. You know, like <laughs> that's what it felt like having a booking agent. And I was like, oh, this, this sucks. So I think all of that on top of it just made people kind of be like, you know, wh why are we still doing this? But we had had like the timeline gets weird, but basically we had ha we had had around seven or so songs that were could have could have be could be recorded, 
um, that I, I wanted to make a record out of. And I think Craig really felt strongly that there was like five songs that were very good. And he was like, well, let's just go do those. And I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, regardless of what's happening with this band, let's just go in and let's just record those songs. So we went in with Jay Moss. We recorded those songs because I was like, these are good songs. We, you know, if we're, if, if my plan in my head is to make this record, these are still the guys that need to play on these songs. And these are the, and these have already been figured out. So we did that. And then I think pandemic happens. No one's doing anything for a really long time. I keep writing songs. I think I write like three or four more songs for a record and Harley from the band choke up. He wasn't doing anything. And it was around the time where we could like kind of start getting together. And I was like, do you want to, I was like, I, you know, me and Daniel don't really have anything we're doing at home because we're just bored and we don't have much to do, but like I, we've been working on these new songs. Will you play drums on these? Because Brandon, I think was still living with his in-laws and like, wasn't leaving the house. So Harley got together and like help figure out some, some of the drum parts on these songs. And when they were in a place where I thought it was good enough and we could go record with Jay, I was like, all right, let's go record these songs with this lineup. And then we stopped again because uh, the George Floyd riots happened. I wrote the song monuments very quickly. It's probably the quickest I ever wrote a song. And I was like, we should see if we could record this for free raise the money for like black lives matter and just uh, donate the proceeds. And so we did that. We stopped working on the record. We recorded this song. We got to record it for free, not with Jay mixed it, but we went and recorded it at like a, a different studio that had given us free studio time through like six, one, seven sessions or something like that. And then shortly after that, I think like a couple months later, a friend of ours had like a medical accident and we wanted to help raise money for him. So I hit up Alex Garcia Rivera and I was like, could we record at your studio for like a day, this song? And Brandon actually came down and played guitar on that because Harley had been playing drums for that time that Brandon was like, oh, I remember that band. I, I, I know that song. It'd be cool to come record. So we, we then did that. So then I was like, okay, now that we're playing with Brandon again, because he's meeting up with us. Let's go record those other songs that, you know, we felt weren't ready yet because I now think they're ready. So then we went back to Jay's and recorded like, you know, three or four more songs. By this point, Jay's super confused on when we came in and when we did and what lineup is in there and what's going on. I can't (laughs) even remember anymore. Like he'd be like, what session am I saving this in? I was like, dude, I have no fucking clue. I don't remember. (laughs) Eventually we are getting to a full record. I promise, you know, by this point, it's been like, you know, a couple years that we've been working on this. I think, you know, we started coming out of this pandemic a little bit. And I, I think, in that time frame, we had put together a live stream that we wanted to do where Jay Moss helped produce it. And we had done it in my friend's barn and we had like backdrops and everything. It was a whole production to do this thing. Yeah, that seemed like a big production based on what I was reading. It was you, uh, it was Rebuilder and Catbite and a bunch of other bands that were sponsors. It seemed like a, a major production. Yeah, that happened because like, we had done a New Year's show almost every year. 
obviously with the pandemic happening, we couldn't. So me and Daniel were like, well, we can't do a live stream because they all look terrible and they all sound so bad. Yeah. It, if to do it, the big secret is you have, it has to be like a pre-produced thing. Yeah. You know, it's like pre-recorded. pre-recorded for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And so, you know, I was like, and anyone I talked to, like everyone's whose live stream was really good, was always pre-recorded and it was like a bigger band that did it. So it was like, well, how are we going to do it? You know? And I remember someone had approached us about the idea and I was like, I think we can do this and I think we could do a good job with it. And they were like, yeah, we can get sponsors for it and we can do this whole thing. And then they just like we said yes to it and they promised this whole thing that they could deliver to us. And then they disappeared on us. And so I went to Jay and I was like, look, I don't know if we can make this happen anymore because these people that said they could get us money from sponsors and do this whole thing. They completely dropped the ball. And, you know, it was with me and Jay, like, you know, thinking I was like, well, what do we really need to do this? And he was like, we should just pre-record it. This is all the gear we need. This is what we really need to make it happen. I think that we can make this happen at the cheapest level, like this amount of money. And I was like, yeah, I mean, let me try to get sponsors the same way that this company was going to do it and see what I could get. And, you know, the companies I hit up were like my friend's companies and they were happy to throw a couple hundred bucks at it to have their logo on it and stuff like that. And we were able to like pay an editor and then through the tickets we sold online through one of those streaming sites, we were able to like pay Jay and we were able to take some money from us. And then all the opening bands I asked to be on this thing, I was like, yeah, just pre-record yourself doing a couple songs. And we paid them too. You know, we were, we treated it like it was like a regular show. Yeah. And what we knew me and Daniel knew it was going to be a lot of work to make it happen. And we had to keep the group small because this is still like pandemic height. Um, but at that time was, you know, I had reached out to everyone and I was like, Hey, this is a thing that me and Daniel want to do. Any of you guys have any interest in doing it by that pl- point, we had been playing with Harley, some new songs and we had recorded with Brandon and Craig wasn't playing with us, but I, you know, included him in the email being like, do you want to do this? Everybody wanted to do it, you know? And it was awesome. Like everyone came to do it. We had Harley there. We had Brandon there. We had Craig there. And I think doing that and us coming together and doing that was like, okay, like we can do things and not have it be a huge weight on our lives, you know? And I think the break that the pandemic gave us to kind of figure out our priorities and our friendship helped where everyone does want to be a part of this, you know? And I think people in the band now feel okay being like, I can't do this show. I can't do this tour because I have too much going on in my life. You guys can go off and do it if you can do it, you know? And I think that that is, it's just different. Cause I think when, even when I think back to dead Ellington, like I remember there being shows that we were asked to do. And I was like, all right, like we're being asked like to do this show. And our guitar player was like, well, I can't do it. And I was like, ah, you know, can we do it with one guitar? And they were like, I don't feel comfortable with you guys doing that with one guitar or me not being there. You know, there was just like so much. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, that's no good. You see, the way it has to work is if you can't do the show, someone else should be able to do it. That's the risk you take. Whatever happens, happens. I and I and I completely believe that. And But I think that, you know, I think when we were younger, we let ourselves get 
really emotionally attached to those decisions. I think people's feelings got hurt where I think now that we're just older, we're just like, you know, like, I think it's always like, yeah, we root for the, for our brotherhood, you know, like, you know. Yeah. When I was 24, I would have never allowed someone else to play in my place like that. That just wouldn't have happened. But at 41 now, I'm, if I couldn't play a show, I'd be like, yeah, get whoever else will do it to do it. Doesn't matter. For sure. For sure. So, you know, and I think that's, that's kind of the place that we arrive now as our band is, is like, you know, like, I don't think we're going to be the band that's going to get in a van and tour for like two months straight with us headlining and just trying to hit up all these random cities in the U S because I don't see the point in playing like fucking Duluth on Monday night, you know, to like (laughs) five people, like, you know, some people might be like, you'll play to five this time. And the next time you come around, it'll be 10 and then 20 and then 50. And I think I might've thought that way when I was like 20 years old, I'd be like, yeah, I'll come back to Duluth five more times. We had time and energy back then. I don't want to go to Duluth ever. (laughs) You know, know? like if I'm going, it's because they're like, hey, this show is out there and it's going to be a good show. People are going. I'd be like, all right, let's do it. You know, it's going to be great. And, you know, even the tour that we're doing now where we're going out and doing some shows of Streetlight Manifesto, we're doing some shows of Frank Turner. It's one, I have a history with those bands. They're like, I've worked for both of them and both of them are friends of mine. So I was able to like finagle my way in there, but we have to like fly to these places and we have to rent gear. We have to rent a car. We have to do a lot to make it work, but the shows are going to be great. You know, they're going to be the best, some of the best shows that we've ever played as a band in front of that crowd. And it's going to help our band. And hopefully it just makes people know who our band is more. And for me, that's worth going out and doing. And I guarantee you that those, you know, nine shows or whatever we're playing will do more of an impact for our band than if we went out for two months headlining ourselves around the U.S., not knowing if anyone's coming out. I guarantee you those nine shows will do more than if we tried to just do it on our own. Work smarter, not harder. I mean, that's the way I see it, you know? So you recorded... What became local support with Jay? What happens after that? Do you start sending it out to labels or did you have a label you were working with? What did you do? When we had gotten to a spot where it was like finished enough to send it out, you know, as much as I know about this business and I've been in this for a long time, sometimes I hit this point and I'm just like, I don't know if I know what the fuck to do anymore. You know, (laughs) like, it's just like, I I remember talking to Dave Haas when when I finished this record, I sent it to him to like just see what he thought of the record. We and he called me, he had a conversation. He was like, What do you want to happen with this record? I was like, dude, I want this record to be the biggest this record could possibly be. I want to have like, you know, I want to try to get a booking agent out of this and do all this. And he's like, dude, he's like, you know all the bands that you want to play with anyway. You want to open up for the souls and like play some shows with like you know, like at the time when Boston's are still, right? It's like, what's some Boston's? And like, I was like, yeah, of course. And he's like, you already know all those fucking people, man. Like you already have your foot in the door there. You don't need to get an agent. You don't need to get like a label. He's like convincing me that we should just release it ourselves. And he was like, he said, 
you can't compete with the kids that are 20 that are 20 years old that will take a hundred dollars to play a show every night on tour for like a month. And I was like, fuck that. I'm doing that. And he's like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? And like, he's right. Like I, I have no interest in being like, I'm going to get a hundred dollars to play this fucking show. And like, you know, like I, you know, I don't need, it's not like even the shows that we're playing or we're getting paid like a lot of money. We're definitely not getting paid enough to cover even our expenses, but you know, I'm definitely not not 20 years old here. It's just will take whatever is thrown at me, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I had sent it. My whole thing was that I wanted, if I can, I want this label. I wanted this record to be on a label that has a staff. You know, I think that if you can be on a label that has a staff, like we tried Pure Noise. And I wanted Pure Noise because one, our friends are on it. And I think we would have fit fine. but there's people that work there that, I mean, it's just their job. They wake up every day and they go there and their job is to make sure their artists get bigger and their records sell and their records like get played. That's their job, regardless if they like it or not. So, you know, for me, I was like, if we can get on a label that has a staff, that'd be great. I didn't think that like fat or epitaph or any of those would be interested, but you, you got to send it anyway, you know? And so I sent it to all of the those labels that had us that would have a staff involved. And I remember talking to Christo at AF at the last fest and even Chris too, when we did open up for anti-flag and they were like, you know, we would love to have this record on AF. And I was like, yeah, I, and I, I was like, you know, I would, I would like to have the record on AF too, but if I can go with someone who's bigger, who has a staff in better distribution, I'm going to go with that every time, you know, even though, I think I would have a better time on a smaller label. I might not enjoy being on something that's bigger that has a lot of parameters and rules I need to follow. Yeah. But it gets the record in more places, which is I think the whole point, you know. But none of those labels uh had wanted it. Pure Noise thanked me for sending it over, but they weren't interested in working it. So, you know, I was like, okay, I can I can keep waiting or I can just tell AF they have the record and they can put it out so that we can get it out in time for the next fest. And, you know, they have a record club that has 200 members on it. So automatically they get the copy of the record. So that's more people to hear the record. And it was just very easy to do to go to the labels that are just small run by one or two people. And usually those people that run those labels have other jobs, you know, because they're just one person running a label. Um, so yeah, so I gave I gave it to AF. I was happy with it being on there. I, I didn't think it was like anything life changing or anything like that. It was just like a good home to have a record on with people that we already knew. And then you know, unfortunately, that went to shit once uh, Justin from Anti Flag got um, he got called out or for accused of of raping somebody. Which is terrible. yes, and, and they folded the label right after that. They folded the label. They folded the and whole the band. band. You know the yeah. whole band, and it was one of those things where you know, I, I mean, we didn't. It, when I saw it all happen, I didn't even think of the label because, like, it. Anyone that is on the inside knows that they are two completely separate things. Like Chris Stowe at AF is just a guy that plays in local bands as well and runs the label and. There's never any talk of 
playing with anti-flag just you know you don't deal with any of the members of it i think they just kind of had started it so it just had it by association of name so when i saw everything come out about anti-flag i was like well that you know that's that's terrible that this happened to this person um but i didn't even think of my record at all you know i just had thought about like how how terrible it is that this thing happened somebody was like what does this mean about your record and i was like oh i don't know if it affects it because it's not the same thing and then i had to quickly realize i was like well, people don't know it's not the same thing. You know, if people see anti-flag records, they probably think that like the members of anti-flag are the ones running this record label, you know? And I, you know, I remember calling Chris at AF and just being like, you know, uh, what happens? Like, you know, and he, he was like, I don't, he's like, I don't know. He's like, you know, as much as I do, this is day one of me finding this out. And uh, we're watching all of our lives implode over here. I don't have much of an answer for you. And I was like, all right. Well, I I don't want to I don't want to post anything. I don't want to say anything until I talk I talk to him and figure out what's going on. Which you know I, I think I'd waited a couple of days and finally got an answer that the whole label would be wrapped up and we would just be sent our records and you know we don't owe anything for our records but we're just being sent our records and you know figure it out. We're we're out. You know, and I was feeling very defeated with it because i was like well i've worked so hard for this record you know yeah it's it, the band has been around for a long time you already went through the whole slog of the pandemic it was a long time and you even questioning about whether you should keep the band together and it took a long time to get to this point to get the band on this label and to get the record ready to go so you know for this to happen uh, obviously, the record and the the record label are obviously not the most important things to consider in all of this, but still, it must have been tough. Like, yeah, and you know, and I find myself feeling guilty about f- feeling the way I do, you know, because I'm right. like, I'm like, well, what about my record? And I'm like, well, that's just not even remotely important to compare to like what the right thing to do in this situation is, you know, exactly. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, this is. This is something I worked so hard to do, and it wasn't even like I was like really gunning to be on this record label to begin with. Like I was happy to be on it because it was run by good friends, and you know it would help to get the record out. But it's not like you know I, I'm not 20 years old uh, trying to look for any job anymore. I have I have money, you know. I I can I could just pay for this record and have it out and have nobody's name on it, you know. But I wanted to work with you know, someone or some type of label that would just like help promote it a little bit more and just kind of be in the team with us, you know? And so for having this happen, I was just like, you know, I was like, well, this sucks. Like, you know, I'm thinking so much about, I I just, like I said, like, I just felt, I felt guilty about even feeling that way. And, you know, are we going to even have records for our release show? Are we going to have, you know, like, what am I supposed to do if there's an AF label? On the record, you know, I immediately was like, I've got to order stickers that cover up the logo. And we're just going to like, you know, take this over ourselves. We've, I mean, we, re- our live record was released by us. We know how to ship things. We know how to, you know, distribute things. But it, it wouldn't have gotten the bump that I wanted it to get and have it be in the right hands. Um, and then, you know, thankfully, when all that happened, uh, Casey and Joe wanted to have a talk with me from iodine and they had talked to Jay Moss cause they were, they're releasing Jay Moss's record and they're friends with him. And, you know, 
I remember Casey, we did like a FaceTime thing. I was on tour. So I, you know, I wasn't even home. That was another thing too, was, you know, like I look at these tours I'm offered and I was like, well, you know, I can take that tour. It's going to get me home, you know, a couple weeks before the release show. I'll be on tour while the record comes out digitally, but it's fine because I've already paid for the PR team. So that's taken care of. Everything's taken care of. I, I should take these tours because it is my job and I don't have anything to worry about. And then all of this happens while I'm, while I'm on the road. And that's like, I can't even focus all of my attention on it because I, you know, I, I have to do my job every day, you know? Yeah. And that was like the other part of it. So I, you know, I was, on, I was on tour when Casey and Joe wanted to talk. And I remember Casey immediately was like, you shouldn't put out this record. Like we should, we should scrap it and put it to at, for next year. And um, he's like, it just, you know, it would, it feels like you're cheapening it by putting like a sticker over it. Like your record's so good. And I think that like, we can do it justice by like just pushing it back and getting a release. And by that point we hadn't even announced that we were doing Frank Turner streetlight shows. And I was like, dude, I was like, our record release is in three weeks. Um, we're playing some of the biggest shows that we'll play as a band ever. Like we're playing the Wiltern in LA, which is like not a place that our band would ever play, you know? Um, it's, I think it's like 3000 like cap or something like that, you know? So it, it's, it's a big room. Like we're doing some cool stuff. And I was like, this record has to come out. We have to have records for that. Like there, there's no stopping this. Um, and if that doesn't work for you, I understand, you know, I, I completely get it. However, I, I was like, you know, someone, some, someone guy from the pressing plant did hit me up and he said that they were about to make the records and he stopped it and wanted to make sure we weren't changing anything. And I was like, yeah, let's take the AF logo off of those records. Um, and I was, so I told Casey, I was like the insert never had an AF records logo and the records themselves now don't have it. So it's just the jacket. And the Casey was like, Oh, we can get new jackets. We can get new jackets tomorrow. We can get on this right away. And it made me feel so much better to see two people who cared about the record and who would just start going through anything to make this happen so that we have records for our release show. We have records for tour and we can, you know, kind of put this AF thing behind us and just focus on this record going forward. And, you know, I might not be even the easiest person to work with because I'm like, well, all this has to get done. All this needs to get done. This is what we have going on and everything. But, you know, Casey and Joe are both like, yeah, we can handle all that. Like we, we can make this happen. I was really, really thankful that that was the response I got about this record because even, you know, in trying to work with AF, trying to get everything in line, you know, I just felt like they were just like, look, we don't want to have anything to do with anything anymore. Stop hitting us up. Stop yeah. talking to us. And I'm like, I have to because I need my record. This is the most important thing I've worked on in years. Like I have to have everything I need for this. And, you know, it was just, it was, I, you know, I always kind of wanted the record to be in, you know, a Boston label, but there really isn't that many Boston labels that I thought would take this on. Um, so it was nice that iodine came around to kind of like save this record. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I'm not surprised to hear how helpful uh, Casey and Joe were because I, I'm uh, two times on the label 
I'm in a band on the label and this podcast as well. And just the amount that Casey and Joe do still surprises me. Like they really get involved and help out everybody that they're working with. Yeah. It it, it felt like I was like, I I know I care about this record, but you know, I'm always under the mentality that no one's going to care more about your art than yourself, which is true. That is very, very much true. Yes. However, Casey and Joe have made me feel like they might care as equally as I do, you know? And it just, I was like, that's, that's the level of attention I, I do want from this record, you know, I, 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 or from someone who's involved because like, you know, I think even when we talked, we're like, look, we know nobody's getting rich off of this, you know? Again, like there, this is a terrible, terrible business to get involved in. If you're <laughs> looking for a profit, this just isn't it. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Well, the record is here. Local support. I have heard it, Sal, and I love it. But what, 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 how do you feel now that it's out? Have you, have you gotten good feedback? Are we feeling good about things? Yeah. I feel like everyone who's listened to it has, has been very surprised by the record and been like, you know, they're like, I liked your, all, all your stuff, but this is just like, it feels like an elevated thing. Like you guys really took this to other levels of, you know, outside of our comfort zone, which is, makes me really happy. Cause like, you know, I, I always want to strive to make our next record better than like the last thing we've done, or at least go in, you know, some directions that we haven't done before, you know? And I just don't know if it translates at times. And so I think that, I, I think people hear it. I haven't heard anything negative about the record. It seems that people really like it. The songs that people have pointed out they like, I'm always surprised as well too. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm happy it's out. I you know it comes on when people share it and stuff, and I still you know I can still hear the songs and be like, yeah, I think we did a good job on this. Like I'm always very overcritical. I'll listen to every record that we've made and been like, we should have done this, we should have added this to it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and I still even when I hear this one, I still hear things I would have done. But I don't think I'm as, as overly critical of this one. I was like, I, you know, I, I'm very happy with how it came out. That's a good sign if you're not overly critical, because I do the same thing. As soon as like I'll post something and as soon as I post it, I'm like, that was wrong. I should have fixed this. I should have done that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, I also like feel like everyone who was involved in making this is just like it. it just feels so much more of a group effort, you know, like the cover picture is by our friend Brittany Rose Queen, who has been, I'd say it's our only crew member, but she's just like one of our best friends that has been taking our pictures for years um, that we kind of have just like brought into the mix with us. And, you know, every time we play a show or every time we tour, she's always there. And it, it, you know, she took that picture for something else. I remember seeing it years ago and I was like, I want that to be the album cover. There was no question in my mind. I was like, I want that to be the album cover. The rest of the pictures in the album are all stuff that she did. Our friend Yosef, who I've known since I was going to shows when I was 16, he did all the layout and the additional artwork on it. He's worked on every record we've done. And then, you know, our buddy Brian Butler did some t-shirt designs. Who's like, I met Brian when he was probably 16 going to shows and now he's in Miami killing it in like the art scene and still somehow makes time to make me like a t-shirt design. And, you know, Jay worked on it. We had friends sing on it. Harley from choke up plays drums on it. Like so many people came in from different aspects to like lend a hand to make this happen that, you know, that I feel like the name local support is just so appropriate for it because it just feels like 
everyone locally came together to help us. Even toward at the end, you know, we have iodine coming in to save this record from complete, just like it being shelved, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a real team support environment. Everyone coming together to make it happen. I love that. Yeah. So the Frank Turner shows happened. They haven't happened yet. So we start tour. Our record releases on September 1st. And then, ah. the, and then we fly to Columbia, um, Missouri, and we start shows with Frank Turner there. I think we do that starts on September 11th. We do Columbia, Missouri, then Des Moines and Indianapolis. And then Chicago, we do a riot fest after party with, uh, Frank Turner. Then we fly to Seattle. We do a show with my brother's band, Ramona. Um, and then I think we do a Portland gig. We do maybe an Oakland gig in between that. And then we do San Francisco and LA with Streetlight Manifesto. And then we end it by doing uh, another Frank Turner show, the Lost Evening Show in LA. And then we fly home. Wow. Some great shows coming up. Yeah, they're all really good. They're all going to be super uh, hard to get to, but I think the shows are going to be awesome. That's awesome. So we have the record out there, local support. You can hear it now. Are physical copies out yet? Are we still waiting for that? Um, they haven't shipped yet, so we're waiting for them. But you can you can pre-order it on Iodine's website or our Bandcamp. And as soon as they're in, I think they should be coming in this week. Uh, we'll probably ship them before we leave for tour. Nice. And there's some excellent shows coming up. I mean, you guys and Frank Turner. Who could ask for anything better than that? I mean, uh, you know, we, we've done some in the past. Uh, it's been a while. We did, we did, I think, a few Boston shows with him. We did a Reading show. And every time we have played with Frank Turner, those shows have been awesome. And his audience always really likes us. And, you know, it's, it's just like, I don't know. I think it's a, good, it's a good pairing. And I think it just elevates the party for sure. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like the record. It's not, it's not too much of any one thing, which I think really makes it work. Like, it's not too pop punk. It's not too emo. It's not too uh, regular punk rock. It's like a perfect mix of all of those elements. And I really like what you guys are doing. Thanks, man. Yeah, I think that <laughs> I think maybe I would have a more successful music career if I stuck to one thing and just kept doing that one thing. But <laughs> I don't know. That sounds boring to me. I don't really write that way. You know, I I think all of us take influences from so many different things that you know, for me, I think when we write, we always want to lend to like, what is best for this song rather than like, is this too punk rock? Is this too emo? Is this too, you know, just straightforward rock and roll? For me, I'm just like, well, let's just make the song awesome. Who fucking gives a shit what genre it fits in? Like, I just don't care. It like goes back to like when I was saying like, you know, when I was a kid and my dad was just showing me music for me it was just all under this is loud rock music and it's all very good you know the, so like it kind of always comes back to that so i just i just want it to be i just want it to be good i don't really care about the genre anymore there you go well it's working sal you can take that from me <laughs> thank you <laughs> i strongly urge everyone to uh they should i think i feel like everyone should be in a band everyone needs to start their own band your life just gets better when you do it yeah, take it from me, take it from Sal. I, I can uh, confirm what he's saying. Being in a band can be difficult, but like Sal said, being on stage and playing and people being into it and telling you that it's great and buying records and 
and all that stuff, all of it together, they, it doesn't all have to happen, but all of it together is great. It, it really is. Yeah. Well, Sal, I love the band. I love what you guys are doing. I'm really glad that everything worked out with the record and that it's out there now so we can hear it. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And there you have it, Sal Ellington. Excellent, excellent conversation. Really nice guy. I really liked talking to Sal, and I'm glad that everything worked out. I'm glad that he and the band stuck with it. You know, this record might not have happened. There was plenty of opportunities to give up. There was plenty of roadblocks, especially the whole thing with AF Records. But I was happy that Iodine swept in to save the day. I'm happy that the record got out on time. And I'm happy that things are happening for Sal and the band. So really happy to talk to you. Thanks so much, Sal, for coming on the show. So let's check in, huh? How are we doing? How are we doing? I'm going to tell you how I'm doing, and that's pretty good. You know, summer is over, so I'm feeling better now. I think I just really, really don't like hot weather. And uh, a lot of people have told me that uh, the changeover from weather to summer to fall, everybody's feeling squirrely, everybody's feeling weird, right? But now that summer is pretty much gone, I'm feeling good. This is my favorite time of the year. Fall, cool breezes, cold evenings, leaves on the ground, Halloween, all that stuff. I love it. Not much has changed with me too much over the past few weeks. I'm just working on a lot of music. And that's the dream, right? That is the dream. I remember sitting home by myself, high out of my mind, not doing what I want to do, alone, depressed, watching everybody else do what I want to do, just being generally not happy. And now every weekend is taken up with speaking to my favorite musicians and working on music for several bands. But the flip side to that coin is life can be kind of boring, okay? Even though you're doing everything you want to do and creating stuff and all that, it's kind of boring. I wake up, I work all day, I work on my day job. At night, I'm doing interviews. I work on the podcast. The weekends are taken up with bands and writing and all that stuff. That's pretty much all I do. And I don't feel compelled to do much else. You know, I don't feel compelled to hang out just socially with people a lot. So that that can wear on you, you know, but listen, that's that's the life. That's the life. That's the trade-off. But I did do some rare socializing a couple nights ago. My friends, Mike Shaw, you may know him as the vocalist of This Day Forward, and Mike Golan, you may know him as one of the original guitarists of This Day Forward, came up here to New York City and we went to a comedy show at the Comedy Cellar, and that was a lot of fun. You know, they used to do this thing when we were young called Forced Hangout. So I'd be home in high school, asleep, you know, I would come home and go to sleep because I'm tired. And then they would come over and my mom would let them in and they'd burst into my room and be like, forced hangout, forced hangout. And I would be all sleepy and like miserable. And then they would make me come hang out. So they did a forced hangout in New York City. And we went to the comedy show and walked around for a little while in Manhattan. And it was a lot of fun. Really great to see those guys and uh, good to get out because I haven't been doing that enough. I just haven't been doing that enough. 
I got some Darling Fire shows next month in the Southeast, one with Madball. That's going to be cool. So I'm getting ready for those, running through the set again, all of that. I've got another band I'm working on, so I'm writing and practicing with them. And besides that, you know, just not doing a whole lot. Warzone 1 shut down, Caldera gone for good. Now we just have crappy Warzone 2. But I did a little live stream on Twitch, two hours of Caldera the other night. But, you know, I'm sad that it's gone because the original Warzone was just such a landmark game. It got me through the pandemic. It got me through my most recent breakup. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun and took up a lot of time. But they've since ruined the game with uh, the new maps and Warzone 2 and all of that stuff. And it's really bad. But I played uh, some of the first, I played some of Caldera for a couple hours, but I wasn't having that much fun. So, you know, I only lasted about two hours on stream. So RIP to Caldera this weekend. It's very rainy. That's a good excuse to sit around and just not do much. I've been playing a lot of uh, Resident Evil 2 remake again. Uh, The B scenario for Claire on hardcore. Do you know how hard that is? Very hard. It's very difficult. I love to torture myself with these games and persevere and overcome them. So I'm working through that. Maybe I'll jump back into Elden Ring at some point. I don't know. The options are limitless. The options are limitless. But it's business as usual over here. I hope everybody out there is doing well. And listen, we've got some blockbuster episodes of the show coming up. The next two are going to blow your minds, okay? Here's a hint about next week, if you've made it this far into the episode. It's a newer band that everybody is very excited about myself included. And they're a bit on the heavier side. Who could it be? Hmm, I'm not sure. I don't know. But make sure you tune back in next week. I'm here every week with new episodes. Every single week, no matter what. So we are going to end the show with Chatpile. The song is called Davis. And this goes out to Mike Golan and Mike Shaw. Good to see you guys. I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Yeah.